Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Spratling and Ryan Abraham. We have a fun show for you guys today. A lot is going on in the world of USC football. First off, fall camp. Can we even call it that? Fall camp starts on Friday. We'll have to preview that, of course. And big news for the Trojans. They get Elijah Vera Tucker, one of their best, most experienced linemen. He's opting back in. Huge for USC's offensive line who needed that help. And of course, we'll talk about what happened today. It was like a pseudo Pac-12 media day with just the Pac-12 coaches. It was a Pac-12 webinar. That's how you do things in 2020 these days. So uh, we'll talk about that. Some fun quotes or interesting quotes that coaches had to say uh, around the conference. Of course, course you can call us 5124 tunnel we love talking to you guys uh, give us your comments questions concerns and we'll try our best to answer them you can tweet at us hashtag tunnel vision and i'll put your tweet up on the screen and y'all know the deal wherever you are periscope youtube facebook put your comments your questions your complaints whatever we'll take them just engage with us we love it uh, we'll put your <laughs> your uh, uh comments on the screen guys like i said there's a lot happening and football is coming back. Now, I did say that, that practice starts on Friday. We do not get to go to practice. We get lovely, very early wah, wah. Uh, 8 a.m., 7.30 a.m. Zooms with coaches and, and players. I, I'm happy we get to talk to anyone, so that's fine by me. But it's definitely going to be different this year for us guys, right? Yeah, training camp is what Clay Allen's calling it. They're not calling it fall camp as much. Uh, four weeks leading up to... The first game, that 8, uh, 9 a.m. opener against Arizona State. So they got four weeks of practice to look forward to. We're going to get – we have a scheduled Zoom meetings with different coaches and players. There will be opportunities to try to talk to people sort of off of that schedule. So we'll see what they're going to allow us to do. But right now, campus is still technically closed to anyone that's non-essential. I guess that we and us in the media would not be essential. So they're, they, I think they're trying to work with us. But as of now, we're not going to be able to go – and uh, watch practice. I thought it'd be cool to have some practice in the Coliseum. Maybe watch that because it's like yeah. open. You know, so that's some that's a big, uh, you know, spacing there. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be a bummer. But it is nice that they're gonna be starting practice on Friday, and getting ready for an actual college football season. Yep. 
I, I told Keeley and uh, Chris Trevino this earlier today, but I feel like I'm back in season mode because <laughs> yeah. I don't know what day of the week it is, really. I don't even know when the last time I showered, what day of the week that was. I I, have been, I went yeah. a couple of days without taking my medicine so because I just forgot about it. I, you know, I went about six hours a day before I realized, oh, crap, I better eat some breakfast and scarf it down in the middle of these this full day of, uh, of coaches' webinars and stuff. Also, what is the Pac-12 doing? With their their Pac-12 media day and just like throwing it at us the night before, like, hey, we're gonna have this tomorrow. Just just let you know real quick. Uh, just yeah. no forewarning or anything. Just no. classic Pac-12 and no Larry Scott. No, Larry Scott was not available at all today, like you normally would have on a, a Pac-12 media day. So, but it was good to, to hear from the coaches. A lot of talk about 9 a.m. Uh, and the potential of 9 a.m. kickoffs for schools. We That's do know right. two schools that will be participating in those. Uh, but also talk about, hey, does a 7-0 Pac-12 team get in the college football playoff? Some different answers there as well. And a lot of talk about you know COVID-19 with Kevin Sumlin uh, being diagnosed with positive. Chip Kelly uh, said that he and his wife both had had it earlier. Uh, so a lot of talk about COVID-19 as well and the precautions that schools and teams are going to have to take to try to, to try to be able to, to make it through the season because you only got seven weeks to put together a seven-game yeah. schedule. So not not any leeway or, or freedom there to, to have a mess up or a mishap and then have to cancel a game. No, if you want to get everything in, you, you got you to gotta take care of business away from the field as well. And that includes us not being able to go to practice, even though I think USC could find a way to make it happen, you know, like Ryan talked about with the Coliseum practices or something, if they really wanted to. We'll see if things change, you know, as 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 we progress through through camp and, and different things. Uh, but it would be good to see, to hear some reports and you know to hear from the players and they finally get able back get back on the field um, and get to camp. We'll call it camp, as Ryan said, training camp. Uh, Kevin Sumlin said today that they're not even calling it training camp because they're in school. So it's not like you normally would have where teams are are able to practice before school begins. This is a little bit different. Um, and just like all of 2020, it's, it's going to be different. So we'll see how things progress, and we'll see uh, what kind of reports we can get from the players and coaches uh, coming from from Howard Jones Field. Shaka, yep. you know what's proof that the season is among us? I forgot. Sat- it's Wednesday. I forgot Saturday's news of the Pac-12 schedule release. They re- released <laughs> the whole schedule. Of course, we kind of knew what it was going to be. We had that outstanding uh, crossover game. But we, but it was new, and the, the biggest news that came out of it, the controversial 9 a.m., uh, big noon kickoff, but 9 a.m. for the West Coast against ASU to start the season for USC. I believe I think I might be a, a one-woman show going into this battle against you two because I have some takes on 9 a.m. But first <laughs> off, let's get your guys' takes. 9 a.m. in the Coliseum, bright and early, to start uh, the 2020 Pac-12 football season. Yeah, I don't have any issues with it. And I think, you know, we talked to different reporters about it, and the Pac-12 needed to come out with a bang. There's going to be a really terrible two weeks of college football. College football is great. The two weeks when the Big Ten starts on October 24th, and the Mountain West starts, and the MAC, I think, is even – well, the MAC is going to start a couple days before the Pac-12. Um, that's going to be a really tough two weeks when everyone else basically is playing besides the Pac-12 and the MAC that's going to start later too. So to be able to watch those two weeks of football, seeing Ohio State and Michigan and you know even like Fresno State and San Jose State, those teams playing, San Diego State will be playing, 
that's going to be really tough in the Pac-12. So you got to come out with a bang. Like you really need to make a big splash if you're the Pac-12. So you put there's not going to be a lot of premier games because you've cut it down to just division games. But you got a couple, and USC Arizona State is one of them. Two of the most prolific returning quarterbacks, two sophomores, two studs for those programs. Two the two teams that are picked pick to finish first and second in the Pac-12 South. And you start off right away at 9 a.m. Now, if it was Washington State, Arizona or something, um, and you know, it was a, a 7.30 p.m. game, yeah, some people watch because it's late and you want it, it's a Pac-12 after dark. But this is a game that people will circle if you're a Big Ten fan, if you're a SEC fan, you're an ACC fan. It's 9 a.m. Two West Coast teams playing at 9 a.m. You know, 9 in the morning. That's going to happen. And there are actually two teams that are contending for the Pac-12 South. So I think there's a lot of reasons to do that. And John Wilner brings up a good point. He's made it over and over again. You have all those highlight shows all day long. You don't get any of that when you're the Pac-12 after dark game. Like, you basically, you play... And then no one talks to you about you again because the NFL starts in a few hours. When you play that 9 a.m. game, it will be talked about. The Pac-12 will be talked about throughout the day. So instead of like Iowa-Purdue, you're going to get USC and Arizona. Fox will promote the heck out of it. It's their big noon kickoff game. That's their number one spot. They'll give their number one team to that. So I like it, given an opportunity. Now, it's a great opportunity for USC, but you got to go out and win that game. You lose that game, and it's going to be a really rough slate. It's a really short schedule. Clayton said there's no room for error. You can't lose that first game, and it's going to be a tough one. So I think it's a great opportunity, but there could be a big fall if you don't uh, if you don't come out and play well. Yeah, shotgun, your thoughts? So Keely and I debated this on the Family Feud Quick Take, which you guys can listen to as well. Plug. I will say I did battle Ryan too. So. Yeah, I did. We'll <laughs> I was going to say I am a one woman army on this. <laughs> I am a little bit in between here. You know, I, I understand where Keeley's coming from. I think it's terrible for the players. You know, you start off with a at, at best a 5 a.m. probably wake-up call. And David Shaw talked about this. He is not in favor of the 9 a.m. because he said college kids don't go to bed at 9 o'clock. So you're going to try to get them up at 5 a.m. You're going to have team meal at 6. You know, what are you eating then? There's a lot of different variables that are going to go into this game, especially for USC, you know, being the first game where they're going to have to the, the day of COVID testing or if they do it the night before, you know, figuring out those. The first game where you're going through these new protocols, uh, there's a lot of variables that are going to go into it, and USC is going to have to overcome those to try to get this game besides what they got to do on the field as well. I understand why they did it. I disagree with Ryan that people on the East Coast are circling this game. No, they're not. This is this is like when Notre Dame yes, is playing. They are. No, they're not. They no, they're not. See two teams play at nine in the morning. You're sure, like, you, they do. But they want surfer they, guys doing at nine in the morning. Like, oh no, my god, no, 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 no. So they they'll watch the game. They're not circling it. It's just like when I wake up and I say, oh, last weekend it was Texas T TCU. Okay, I'll watch that game. I didn't look for it earlier the day before. I'm like, when's the Texas TCU game? I got to watch this. No, I, I wake up and it's like, oh, I got to flip through. What games are on? Okay, I'll watch this. And, and it's not like you're, you know, if uh, Notre Dame is playing, who are they playing in Northwestern Ireland? You're not circling that game and saying, oh, I got to get up early to watch this. You're just like, oh, that game's on. Okay, I'll watch some of this. And it'll just but depend that, on that's the one you're gonna get a note on. You're like, okay, they're playing in Ireland. I want to see that. If a game gets moved for like no, a hurricane and they play in like the you know Georgia Dome, so like, oh, I might want to watch that. Like there's no, a you reason, don't. there's a reason to watch it. <laughs> no, there's you a don't specific reason because you want to see these West Coast dudes playing at 9 a.m. Like that's just so it's a weird, no. unique thing. Yes. No, it's not. We'll put a poll up and definitely that's something. 
I yeah. literally put a poll up on Twitter and like almost 700 people voted and like the majority said ew to 9 a.m. games. So yeah, well, those are West Coast people. We're not talking I, about that right now. I was one of those people East voting. People. Yeah. I'm, I'm from the East Coast and I voted ew on that as well. <laughs> um, I would just point that out. Now, I'm excited about, you know, if they bring the Armando's truck and we're getting to go into the Coliseum and, and cover and that's the breakfast meal they provide. Now, I'm more excited about the game then. But I'm not excited. I mean, if I'm an East Coast person, I'm not circling the game. I'm going to turn the game on and see how it is. And I think this is smart of the Pac-12 that if this is your first game, you come out of the blocks, especially because just like you said, Ryan, you're two weeks behind from the other conferences that are starting late. But you're, you know, a month and a half behind these the the conferences that are playing right now. So you got to come out with a bang. The fact that there's no fans, I understand why you do it. Now, continuing on past that, you know, you're to get that audience, you need marquee names to yeah. play. But do you really want your marquee teams to play? This is the same argument for Friday games. Yeah. You know, and you have the conversation that we've had in the past about, hey, you can't play a road game and then go play a road game again on a Friday. But the Pac-12 didn't see that. They saw, hey, these are marquee teams. People will watch on a Friday because they're not doing any other thing and not thinking about if you put your marquee teams and you put them in an unenviable, unenviable situation, including, hey, you got to change your your uh, sleep pattern to try to get up for this 9 a.m. game and you don't play well and suddenly your top team loses out and you lose out your teams from the college football playoff, that is the argument against these games. Yeah. The argument for, hey, if we get a marquee that gives more exposure, sure. But if they're not playing to their best of the, the best of their ability and you're you're potentially losing your marquee teams uh, and their chances of a college football playoff because they're playing these games, that's a, a whole uh, different can of worms there. And you have to put marquee games on because I'm not watching that Oklahoma State-Kansas game you know that that's that's what you're comparing. You know they the Big Twelve plays an early game, yeah. And hey, if it's an upset, maybe I'll check it out at the end. But that same time frame, and, and USC will get eyeballs this game because that same weekend there's two marquee matchups: Clemson Notre Dame, which is in the prime time slot, and Georgia Florida, which is in the the midday slot. Yep. So you're going up against literally Oklahoma versus Kansas. Yes, you're going to get more eyeballs in that game. Yeah. But Fox, Fox promotes it. This isn't – you can't look at it as 9 a.m. is a bad time slot. Fox is making it their best time slot. So you're getting – that's why it has to be a marquee matchup because Fox is making this their best – this is their best slot. So it's a good time slot even though for West Coast people it's not necessarily. For the country, it's a good time slot. Hey, Fox also promotes the crap out of Texas Tech versus Oklahoma State. I'm not circling it on my calendar. I'm not getting up early specifically to watch that game. If it's a good game at the end after I wake up late, then yeah, I'll tune in. But on the East Coast, they're not waking up early. This is their noon game. This They've been waiting all week for college football, and they're going to get USC, Arizona State. And they, oh, they're playing at 9 a.m. their time. This is going to be fun to watch. You know, no, so boom, no. turn it on. They, yeah. why, why did you – why has everyone on the East Coast suddenly got a Southern twang? Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> it's a very but also, sport. And but also, <laughs> if, if there are good games going on at the same time, it doesn't matter what you've promoted. It's it, – I'm going to check out whatever game is close, and it, whether it's UCF and Memphis or if it's your your USC and Arizona State. So it, it's going to come down to putting a good product on the field again. And like I said, they will get eyeballs this week, be, uh, that week, because it is the best matchup in that time slot. And you have to put those marquee teams up if you want to do that in that time slot. Because once you put Arizona versus Cal – 
I don't I don't give a crap. I'm not, not watching that, that game. Though. Fox will not do that. Okay, Fox so so now put good games. So now you are putting your best teams at a disadvantage because you're forcing them to change their sleep patterns and go to something else instead of trying to keep them in a normal set pattern. You're trying to put them on that Friday, that Friday night game, so we can get more eyeballs, and suddenly you lose your Oregon, your Washington, your USC because you also have terribly scheduled things the week before, like they did in the past. And now you're out of the college football playoff. What's more important, those eyeballs or getting in the college football playoff? Yeah, it's 2020, so this is a chaos year. Who cares what you do? I'm not necessarily <laughs> for this in a normal year, but they would only be marquee games. Like, they could potentially put, like, a USC-Oregon or something at that 9 a.m. slot because they're going to put, like, Michigan-Ohio State. Those are the kind of games they put in there. So it's, a, it's an honor, I think, to be in one of those. After this year, I mean, it's only seven games. I, you got to have to just throw everything out the window. Just do whatever you can to try to salvage the season. That's why I don't have an issue with it. You can argue for 2021 and beyond, fine. But for this year, it's chaos. It's 2020. Throw it on there. Let's see. I'll watch it. See what happens. Yeah, we're talking about one game that's been scheduled that right now. However, you know they're pushing for this to go forward. This isn't a, hey, it's just temporary because it's the pandemic. Yeah, this is something that's going to happen, and we're going to be covering breakfast games. And It's you a know, trial balloon, though. Like, this – it might not work. We don't know. Like we can put it out there and the guys come out and they're sleeping and it's just, it's, like a, it's terrible. It's a terrible product. Fox wouldn't want to put that on or it might work and we'll see, but you know, the players might let, if all the players complain, I think there's a, it's just an opportunity that, Hey, this is a good way to showcase the conference for the very first week. They might not ever do it again this year. They might not do it, do it again ever, but for the first week, I'm cool with it. I'm okay for exploring it this year, but it's not something that should be become a common thing. I don't think you're going to get the best product possible if that's the case. Yeah. I guess the point is, how is this different from an awkward Friday night game that puts your two teams up in an awkward position? Because you're putting ASU and USC, the two front runners in the South Division, up against each other. First game after, at that point, eight months at 9 a.m. And it will likely decide the South. I mean, yes, there's one thing of what's good for the conference, but what's good for your teams? I don't know if that's good for your teams, especially USC, who historically has started slow under Clay Helton. This seems like it's it's a bad combination if you're a USC fan. I mean, I think if you're talking about you, this is a situation where there's two good teams, the two teams that are picked first and second in the South. The winner is going to be on top. So if you just manage the 9 a.m. game better than the other side and you win, you're going to be the, you know, landslide favorite for the South. So, of course. you know, I think it's, it's, you might eliminate the better team, but, you know, that team is probably going to go on and sweep. It's not a good Pac-12 South. I mean, you know, Arizona's a mess. UCLA is a mess. Colorado's, you know, hired Carl Durrell. They're a mess. Like there's, there's only a couple of games. Utah's lost a lot of guys, but you can't uh, overlook them. Uh, and neither, you know, Arizona State, unfortunately, does have the toughest crossover game. They're playing Cal, where USC has... Uh, Nick Rolovich, Washington State. You know yeah. you have a you have a program that didn't have any spring practices and a brand new head coach. So there's some disadvantages there. Uh, but I, I mean, yeah, there's you got to come out and win. It's it's a crazy pandemic. No one's ever done something like this before. If you can't come out and play at 9 a.m. and you're a slow starter, 
That's on you, for that, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's what I said on the Peristyle podcast. If you want to come out like Elijah Griffin did on Trojans Live and say that you might have the greatest defense in the nation, you could play at 3 a.m. for all <laughs> I care. Like, if that's what you say, then you're going to take care of business no matter what time you play. So we'll see. I'm going hiking this weekend starting at 2 in the morning. So, you, you know, we're, we're going to work that out. That's <laughs> headlamps and stuff because it's going to be a long day. Let's go back to it's a it's going to be bad for the players because it's just not the normal routine. And there's going to be so shotgun because they do strength and conditioning at 6 a.m. And I mentioned before our game day is completely different. Mm, okay, but you have a you have a not... set game day routine. We we talked about this in the Family Feud, but for example, what you eat before a game. Normally, you're eating pasta and chicken, a lean protein, and, and a pasta to give you the fuel that will you know will expend at the right time um, to break down the carbohydrates so that you have the right amount of energy. Are you eating that at at 6 a.m. Or are you eating some kind of breakfast food? You're going to have to change a lot of different things. So there's going to be some variables there. And, Ryan, the, the last response to is it a good idea or not is, does the SEC put their marquee matchups at, at 9 a.m.? No, they don't. Well, they're they, – yeah, 9 a.m. would be 6 a.m. here. So it, does, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it's, it's do, do they do it? At at noon? No, they've had, they don't. They've had games at noon. Michigan and Ohio State's been at noon. Like, what Is that the SEC? That's one of the biggest rivalries in college Is football. Is that the dude. SEC? Does the SEC run college football? It's the big one yes. of the biggest rivalries in college football. Yes, they run the fo- okay, college Shaka. football. All right, you, you just need to, you're a hooey right there now. Just stop for a second. So <laughs> Have you night, not seen? Shaka, hold on for a second. I run this show. Listen, last night I spoke at uh, a USC business, because this is relevant to the 9 a.m. thing, a, U- a USC sports business class. And uh, they had me as a guest speaker. There's some athletes uh, in the audience. One of them was a USC swimmer, and she talked about they practice, you know, butt ass early. They're swimming all the time, and they, but their meets are early also. Um, when she said, whenever they would have, if they had some kind of meet or tournament or something that was later in the day, late afternoon or in the evening, it was like a foreign concept. Or like they're just not used to performing that early. So I know that they work out and stuff at six a.m., but it will be adjustment to play actual play a football game. Uh, that early. So it was funny to hear from a swimmer's point of view when they would practice and, and do meets, which, you know, similar times versus you have something later on. It was like a completely foreign concept. I think you're just making my point for me there. But the next time the Alabama LSU plays at noon rather than a 3.30 slot or the primetime slot, let me know. Okay. I'll tell you when Michigan, Ohio State do it. Yeah. I, I said the SEC. I, I, and I said Michigan, Ohio State. So we'll go. So you're talking about the Big Ten who we've routinely called an absolute mess this during the entire 2020, they were a mess for a couple of months. They make more money yeah. than any other yeah. conference, so they're not. They, you know, they had to be doing something right, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bringing us back in. I just to tack on to Shotgun's point just for one second. My whole point was, if USC was playing up to the level it should have been for the last couple seasons, the USC brand is stronger. Fox, ESPN, they're going to want to put them on in a non-gimmicky, non-9 a.m. slot because that's what's going to draw the people, not some, hey, let's work around schedules and make it really early for West Coast people. So, I mean, this is another product of USC not playing to their potential and to what their brand and tradition has been. Yeah, if you, as a former East Coast person, and Ryan, you could probably attest to this too from from your days back in the black and white TV era, but... If, if the Pac-12 is, is living up to the, its capabilities, if you have the Matt Barkley USC team playing Oregon in prime time, on the East Coast, you're going to stay up and watch that. 
you know, you're going to see two top 10 teams. You're going to stay up and watch. That's a game you'll circle on the calendar much more than an early, you know, Arizona State USC game, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's it's up to the the conference to you know to force its way back up into the conversation as well. But I think Fox would have loved to put USC, Matt Barkley, Oregon uh, at at that spot. But I think that would be because it's a super strong game, and they want a super strong game in that slot. But for your point, I think if that it's that's so strong, you're like we are definitely not putting that game at nine a.m. So it's sort of one of those things where it's a strong enough matchup where it's good to get that you know great time slot. But it's not good enough where you can say poo-poo, like, no, we're not going to take it. So right now you're going to take whatever you can get. And uh, 9 a.m. you're going to get the most eyeballs, and that's what they're doing. Yep. All right, it, I'm going to switch. No, Shaka, yeah, I'm cutting you it. off. I'm switching gears. As I one last thing. One last no, thing. More, no, one last thing. One, I will one last thing. mute you. I no. will mute you right now. <laughs> we have to move on. You're muted. Okay, Um, we're moving on to <laughs> ABT right now. Elijah Vera Tucker, like I said, decided to opt back in. Uh, to play for the 2020 season, the seven-game season. Um, that, like I said, is huge for USC. Instead of replacing three open spots on the offensive line, you're now replacing uh, two with uh, Austin Jackson and uh, Drew Richmond. Now, Shotgun, I'm going to unmute you. I apologize. Uh, what were your takeaways from uh, ABT coming back? For the future, <laughs> future games at 9 a.m., there, there will have to be some consideration of the fans. Because that, that yeah. game we were talking about with Oregon, so much better at nighttime versus, you know, with the crowd going crazy versus in the, early in the morning. Completely um, agree. Apologize for meeting you. Elijah Vera Tucker, I think this is huge for USC uh, it, because, one, we just – we don't – there's not a lot of depth. There's not much experience at all on the line, and there's not much depth. So we think it's probably six deep, maybe seven if you're being generous – um, and, and hey, maybe someone like Liam Douglas pushes their way up in this. He's getting some rave reviews from Aaron Osmus and Tim Drevno this offseason. Maybe he's a guy that pushes into that conversation. But you, when you lose your top two tackles, when you lose uh, Austin Jackson and you lose Drew Richmond, Richmond on the other side, there's there's really not anyone who you had already just pinpointed like, yeah, that's the next tackle on this team. It's a big question of okay, who is USC going to put there? Who can play tackle? Now they're going to give Elijah Vera Tucker that first chance, and I think this is a great opportunity for him to increase his draft stock, which I think is it, is a wise decision of him to come back because if he can show he can also play tackle, even if teams don't evaluate him as a tackle, that will still boost his stock because of the versatility that he can potentially show. You know, When a team is in a pinch and they need to slide someone out because you're seeing so many injuries – particularly this year in the NFL, but you always see offensive linemen go down and you have such small rosters. If you can slide out in a pinch, that adds value uh, there. So he may boost himself up a draft board that way. So I think it's huge for him and a great opportunity for him, but huge for the USC offensive line because now you have a guy that you you are definitely comfortable with and is reliable and you feel like he can fill that void. Now, if you can't fill that void, you put him back at left guard and you go, wow, we got a, a solid left guard and a solid center that we trust completely. And we'll try to figure out the other three spots. But you just have so many moving pieces right now because you feel like Jalen McKenzie's probably moving out to right tackle. Yep. Andrew Voorhees, is he back or is he a right tackle? You know, there, there's a lot of question marks on the rest of the spots. And I broke this all down yesterday in a, in a VIP piece that you guys can check out as, as well on the site. Um, but – I think just having him back solidifies you in one more spot versus, 
having just one more extra question mark and not knowing who fills that void. Now you, you have a lot more competition this fall camp, I think, as well, which I think is only beneficial for that group. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, bringing Elijah Vera Tucker back is, is huge, like you guys said. It's almost like having two two spots instead of one. Um, you know, with Andrew Voorhees coming back, I sort of anticipate him playing uh, right guard. I think Jalen McKenzie is going to fill in nicely, uh, you know, pushed out at right guard. And uh, Brett Nelon has been, you know, solid at center. Um, so talking about Justin Dietrich, where they like, I think they like him a lot. You feel more comfortable him playing at a left guard spot, which is why most likely you would put Elijah Vera Tucker out at left tackle. But talk to a former NFL scout, and they, you know, he told me he thinks it would be better if Elijah Vera Tucker played uh, the left guard spot. And could a Liam, uh, you know, Jimmins or even a Liam Douglas, like Shotgun mentioned, uh, go out there and play left tackle? If you feel pretty good about that, which would be more of an inexperienced guy playing that left tackle spot and, and protecting uh, the blind side of Keaton Slovis, I think you're going to be pretty solid uh, in the middle of that line with, you know, having Voorhees on one side. Uh, you'd have Dietrich where you could move him around, Nilon and, uh, and Elijah Vera Tucker, obviously, who had, you know, one of the highest PFF grades in the nation last year, if yeah. not, a, you know, of any of those guards. So I, I, it'd be, if you could find a way to keep him at guard, I, I'm sort of leaning that way now. Really? Interesting. Yeah, but I think, you know, I, my gut is he's going to be out there playing uh, left tackle. But, you know, that's what the competition is going to be for. We would have got to see a lot of that this spring, and we're not going to now. But you're curious to see what the, you know, the Liams are going to do and, and some of those guys. And if one of them emerges like, hey, wow, we trust this guy at left tackle. Let's put Vera Tucker back at guard. So we'll see if that happens. Yeah, it seemed like in the sole spring practice we saw they were trying to get AVT at that left tackle spot, but they didn't solidify it. But it seemed almost uh, solidified, yeah. if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you change? Sorry, Strachan. Do you change anything though now that he comes back and you and you kind of had a a, a plan B without him? Do you change your mind at all now that you've had other guys at that left tackle, tackle spot in your mind? I mean, I think it's hard to say that because you haven't seen guys in pads practicing. Now, if he he had missed, you know, if he misses all of spring camp and someone then emerges, it, it's much different than hey, we did some walkthrough stuff, and that's even saying they've been able to do much walkthrough stuff because you know they've just gotten cleared from the six to twelve cohorts, so yeah. it's not like they've had a chance to put in full offense, and you know someone's really doing well identifying coverages or, or blitzes or whatever um, that you feel comfortable with that. It's just not quite the same. He's going to get thrown back in that mix. He'll get the first shot, and they'll see where it goes from there. The biggest thing for them, and they've talked about this. Drevno's talked about it in the past. Clay Helton, this has been his philosophy with offensive lines since he's taken the head coaches. Find the best five guys, and then we'll see where they, we put them. Um, and that you can you can look back to Toa Lobanon playing center and the issues with the snaps. They found the five best you know offensive linemen and then tried to fill them into uh, specific slots that were open rather than finding the best center and finding the best left tackle and, and doing it that way. They're going to find the best five guys. You know Elijah Veritucker is going to be out there somewhere. Now the question, you know, I think he'll end up at left tackle. The question with him and, and some of the other competitions is not necessarily who's doing really well at one position, but how is everyone else doing as well? You know, as to who who stays where and who moves, and like we said, because no one has any left tackle snaps at all on the roster. No one besides Elijah Vera Tucker has any left guard snaps. So you, you got some question marks there. You've got some guys that have played right tackle. You've got several guys that have played right guard. Um, so, but no one has played on that left side beside Elijah Vera Tucker. So there's going to be some question marks. You're going to have to fill it out and figure out what you're going to do there. Mm -hmm. Ryan, what's your assessment? Yeah, I mean. 
like Shotgun said, if you look at the, you know, oh, here's the two deep for the offensive line, and the backup left tackle is probably going to be like the 10th best person on the team. He's not coming in if whoever gets hurt. You know, there, there's going to be a pecking order of the top five, and there's like six and seven. And whoever six and seven is, whoever gets hurt on the line, that person goes in there. It's not, oh, he's the backup left guard, you know, left tackle. If he's the 10th best on the line, he just happens to be, you know, on the left tackle spot. That doesn't mean that guy's going to play. And they have to find something that's going to gel. You talk to football guys, it's like five fingers on a hand. They all have to work together. So you might have someone that's really good at that spot, but if they don't work together as a unit that way, you might have to put Elijah Vera Tucker back at guard because it seemed like the unit worked pretty well that. So that's going to be something for Tim Drummond to figure out uh, these first you know, week or so of fall camp. Obviously, they haven't got to do anything really up until this point. They'll start doing it on Friday. And, you know, after a week, maybe assess, you look at the film, and then you kind of figure things out and see how the players feel, too. He might not feel comfortable there. Um, someone else might be looking, you know, really good as the, at the backup spot. You're like, feel, you know, we're going to try him out for the next week. It works well. They find a good five, and then they start rolling with that. Mm-hmm. And I, I've already been told that, that they've been moving guys around uh, during this offseason, you know, the work that they've been able to do. And Tim Drevno has said in the past, that, you know, we've seen he values that versatility and yeah. guys that can move around. So the guys that are, are showing that they can can do multiple uh, – play multiple positions and showing that they can pick up things quickly, those are guys you're going to be looking at. Um, you know, my my proposal from way back when Austin Jackson made his announcement that he was leaving was to put Liam Jimmins out there at left tackle and, and leave – and leave Elijah Vera Tucker. I think Liam Jimmins has has the feet to be able to play that left tackle position. Um, I, I think, and Tim Drevno has told me he thinks he's a Sunday guy. Now, is that a draft pick or is that someone who signs as a free agent? You know, we don't necessarily know that, but I think he's good enough to play in the NFL. So, finding where he lines up that might be the big question. Liam Jimmins might be kind of the key to the entire offensive line. Uh, just where he lines up will kind of fill in several other slots. Because left guard, you see Justin Dedesere and Liam Douglas. Uh, Jimmins can play pretty much four of the five spots. He's played two of them or three and practice at uh, at least one other one. So, you know, he can, he can move anywhere. So where they put him might determine the rest of the dominoes. An interesting wrinkle to this whole 2020 season, too, as well. Is I'm just curious if and how guys' bodies have changed. Obviously, we know that Liam Douglas is. Uh, he's called Meatball now because he's just so <laughs> so thick. Uh, but also just the incoming freshmen. You know, the John, Jonah Monheims, the Cortland Fords, having a couple months under their belt, necessar- not necessarily practicing, but just getting on campus. And we know how tough the college transition can be at times. Does that give anyone a leg up or a uh, backup playing time that we might not expect? That's something that... If we were to watch practice, I would look for it, but, but of yeah. course we can't. We had a player parrot in the chat saying Cortland Ford going to be the guy. So who knows? You know, maybe we'll, we'll see. that. So those, there was a lot of young guys that came in, and none of them were really – you know, Cortland Ford was a little higher ranked, but a lot of them weren't the normal, like, four- and five-star guys that USC recruited. But, yeah, they could have developed – you know, that's, that's the one thing. You want, you want to bring in talent, but you got to develop it too. If any of those guys have developed over the last, you know, six months, a year and a half, whatever – they're going to be, they could potentially be in the mix too. Or some of the veterans that, you know, a Frank Martin or someone that, you know, been around but really hasn't broken through. Maybe they did have a breakthrough during the, the quarantine. So it's, yeah. it, that'll be interesting to see. We wish we could w- go out and watch it, but mm-hmm. uh, we're not going to be able to, at least right away. Other things we wish, sorry, Shagan, do you need to add something? Yeah, I, I think that the young guys actually have a big advantage because normally, uh, you, you know, a bunch of them were not on campus. You know, I don't, I don't think any of the offensive linemen were on campus for the spring, if I remember correctly. Um, so 
normally they would be behind all the guys that are returning with four potentially four new spots open. We only think Brett Nealon returning to center is the only guarantee. We don't know that Jalen McKenzie will be back at, at which spot he'll be back or Andrew Voorhees which spot. So four spots open for competition. Well, if if you know all the Elijah Vera Tucker gets a full spring, hey, he might lock up left tackle before those young guys ever get there. Now a guy like Cortland Ford comes in, he has the opportunity to compete on an even playing field. Those guys haven't been able to rise above them yet. And by starting later in the season, the Jonah Monheims, the Cortland Fords, the Casey Collier, those guys have the opportunity. They've been able to work out. Now it's not the same. They haven't been able to squat. <laughs> like I know Aaron Osmus was very upset. He hasn't been able to squat. No squatting. Uh, and that's the the craziest part was that they have to ice down. They were having to ice down the bars because they were so hot because they were working outside, not allowed to work out inside. Um, but those guys have had that opportunity to work out and make some gains that maybe you wouldn't normally see from a freshman who gets to campus at the beginning of fall camp. So I think those guys have have a, have, have an advantage here from a normal year in those type of competitions because they're they're going to be a foot ahead of where they normally would be. Yeah. Agreed. Um, speaking of things that we wish we could watch for, obviously, Todd Orlando's new defense, defensive scheme, um, just how it's going to look, how guys fit in. Something interesting uh, noted in the media release that was given out to the press today, uh, Drake Jackson is listed as an outside linebacker, which is kind of an interesting wrinkle. How do you guys see, how do you guys see things shaping out with certain outlier players and how they fit in this scheme? Yeah, Clay Hilton was really optimistic talking about Todd Orlando's scheme today, how aggressive it's going to be, how multiple, how they're going to get up to the quarterback. He talked about playing against it himself. Um, but that's what we wanted to see, like, in the spring. Like, how are they going to line these guys up? What sort of front is it going to be? Where would – you know, Drake Jackson is going to be on the field. Uh, is he, He's classified as an outside linebacker now. Are they going to have him drop back more? He seems really strong going after the quarterback. Um, and see, you know, what that rotation is going to be like. I think they still have a lot of depth there on all the positions on the defensive side of the ball, even without uh, a Jay Tufele. So it's sort of just like what front are they normally going to be running and how different will Jake, you know, will Drake uh, Jackson's role be than what we saw last year? I kind of think it's going to be somewhat similar. Uh, is it Hunter Eccles on the other side of, a, you know, where is that, you know, what's that going to look like? Uh, and will there be a, a more of a rotation than what we've seen in the past? So all that kind of stuff we would love to see. Uh, in practice, which, like we said, we can't. Yeah. I think when you're looking at defense, there's two positions in a defense that can get lost based on the scheme that a team runs, especially when you switch schemes over. And that's your edge rusher, which would be a Drake Jackson, a Porter Gustin, uh, Oluwole Batiku. You know, those guys, you know, Porter Gustin was listed as an outside linebacker as well. He rushed the passer on every single down, basically. So you can see something similar with Drake Jackson. It is a little bit different in Todd Orlando's scheme. We don't necessarily think that that's what the outside linebacker is going to be asked to do. Um, but that position, the edge rusher, and then also you can have a hybrid safety that can get lost depending, which is you know oftentimes the different named uh, position, whether he's a linebacker or a, a, a safety, you know, the rover, the star, the rhino, the whatever you know uh, name that the defense coordinator gives that position. Those, depending on a scheme, those two positions can kind of get lost if it doesn't fit with their body type and what they're being asked to do. I think Drake, Drake Jackson is athletic enough that he can still play the outside linebacker and drop. How much do you want him to drop? That's a, that's a good question because I don't think that that's the, what you want him to be doing more than 20% of the time at max. 
You know, I, I think back to a guy like Uchina Nwosu, also an outside linebacker in the NFL. He's not asked, he's still an outside linebacker. He's not asked to drop in the coverage very often. He has very few coverage snaps this year with the Chargers. He's asked to go get the quarterback. I think that's what you want Drake Jackson to do as well. So he might be listed as an outside linebacker, but I think his job is going to be going forward after quarterbacks. That makes sense. Um, anything else you guys would hypothetically be watching for in these next four weeks? Uh, I mean, I mean, just all that kind of basic <laughs> stuff. Like, it's, it's really going to be interesting to get some of the generic questions out of the way as far as, like, what these players did during yeah. the quarantine and, you know, the how they prepared and what it was like being in those cohorts and how much different is it, you know, now that you're, you know, with the full team or at least 75 people at a time. I think, I think in the beginning – There'll be a lot of those kind of uh, questions just sort of getting up and, you know, what it what it felt like to watch, uh, you know, everyone else playing football. We heard from, you know, some of those guys and, you know, what was behind writing that letter. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of basic stuff in the beginning. But once we get rolling, even though it's a weird seven-game season, it's still going to be, you know, we're going to still have our weekly routine. So I, I think we'll get – once it gets going, I think we're going to get into a little bit more of a game routine. It's just going to be over faster than, yeah. you know, we – you could even imagine it's going to be like, and it's gone. Yeah, which is crazy. I think you're looking – one of the big questions I have is, what are what is Todd Orlando going to ask of his linebackers? You know, are, are, are they going to be asked to attack and fill? Or are you going to – you know, are you running one gap or two gap? Are you switching that up? Because they like to, you know, have multiple fronts and, and do different things. When you're putting three true down linemen in front of the linebackers, what what are you asking a guy like Pallia and Itiote? Are you doing – are you trying to spill everything outside and then have the safeties come up? Or are you asking EA to come up and be the big hitter, the big tackler? What is, what is kind of the, you know, what are you looking for in those linebackers? That's something I would be watching. And just kind of seeing where everyone lines up initially is, is the first thing. Because it's a new defense. And, you know, what Tarlando showed at, at Texas was what he had for that Texas staff, that Texas roster. You know, he morphed some things his second year based on the personnel that he had. How is he morphing things for, you know, what USC's personnel is? And those linebackers, I think, is, is a big part of, you know, where, where's Jordan Iacefa line up? Can Solomon Tulio-Pupu, is he back on the field and where does he line up? Is he inside, outside? Those are the questions that I would be, you know, trying to answer those first few days of just seeing where they are and seeing how they can, can make it work. Yeah. Orlando's a linebacker coach. I feel like the USC linebackers were talented. They sort of just kind of got lost in the defense. I don't think that's going to be the case with Todd Orlando in charge, but that's you know, like you shotgun said, one of those things to watch. We got a question from our buddy Jasper Smith, who we actually haven't heard from in a while. So welcome hey, back, Jasper. Jasper. Uh, he says, with John Houston gone, who fills in for him now? I mean, I think that's a big question as far as what I just talked about with the linebackers. Where is everybody lining up? Yeah. Um, I think you. You look at it and you say EA's the middle linebacker. Okay, well, who's the the will with him? Uh, question marks. Is it Kanai? Is Solomon Tuliolapupu healthy? Can he fill in? Uh, is, is Taylor Katoa back? How, you know, is he factor in the mix at all? You know, he was showing out and, and had made some impressive plays before he hurt his knee prior to going on his mission. You know, is he back healthy? Does he make some early plays and surprise people? Or is Jordan Iacefa, the trusted veteran, where does he line up? Is he inside or outside? Because he's played both in his career. So I, I think that's the spot beside EA is one of the big question marks on defense to me. Yeah. Raylan Goforth, too, uh, you know, 
Yeah. He's a guy that I actually expected to play more last year than he actually ended up getting because he was making some plays in fall camp. And, you know, they were raving about uh, his instincts and stuff there. He's a guy that might surprise some people and jump up that depth chart as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jasper also had a question about Isaac Taylor Stewart. Do we know his health status um, right now as of now? I haven't got an update recently. It's interesting. It's a little – sorry, go for it, Shotgun. Uh, Keely, you would probably say the same thing, but we've seen him post videos and stuff and stuff yeah. of himself, so it seems like it. But there's always the difference between doing work and being cleared for medically cleared for practice. Look at JT Daniels yep. uh, at Georgia and how often you know he was practicing the whole way and he only just got cleared this past weekend um, for them in their camp. So there, there's a little bit of difference there, but it looks like he's on track at least. Yeah, that's the interesting thing is that that he went down in the Holiday Bowl. They wouldn't confirm that it actually was a full-on knee surgery. It wasn't like an ACL type of of, uh, situation. And then we see him doing those drills in the videos uh, much earlier than we assumed. And then we didn't really get like a full confirmation of that. So that's something definitely to watch out for as well. Um, I'm going to go to another question. It's actually for Shotgun. Uh, it's from Ulao Ulao, who says, do you actually believe that the U- that USC has the talent to compete at the national level, yet alone dominant, uh, dominate the Pac-12? I think that's too separate. I, I think let alone is can they dominate the Pac-12, let alone compete at the national level. Yeah. Um, I, I think they can dominate the Pac-12. The big question is the offense line. Can they put it together? Can they uh, protect Keaton Slovis? And in the scheme – you know, the, the quarterback holds the ball a lot. He's got to be able to get the ball out quicker so that he's not taking some of those hits. He's got to help his offense line out a little bit as well. Uh, but that's the big question. If they block up front and they can run the ball a little bit, yeah, this offense will put up big numbers, and I think the defense will be good under Todd Orlando because you have former uh, four- and five-star guys on each level. So it's not like there's a, a talent dearth. If they miss this season and the guys that are going to leave after this year were left, it'd be a much bigger question uh, going forward. But I think with the guys you have returning, with Talanoa and Isaiah Polamau, EA, Marlon Tuipolotu, and even Brandon Peely who was a three-star, but having him up front and Drake Jackson, I think you have a lot of talent on the defense side. I think they'll be fine. The question is just that offensive line. I think they can. I think they can dominate the, the Pac-12. If they get past the first game, I, I don't I don't really see how they're not 6-0 and after the regular season. Can they compete in, on a national level? No, not yet. Um, you got to show consistency, and that's not what they've done. If they can actually blow some teams out, and Clay Helton has said it's going to be up to the eye test, and we're going to have to do some things. So maybe he tries to, you know, put the pedal on a little bit more and, and try to push people to do that because they haven't done it in the past, and that's hurt them not only in the polls and the national view of it, but also with getting guys playing time or young guys playing time and help developing them. Because you know, you see a guy like Clemson at Clemson, DJ Ungalele already getting snaps as a true freshman. That's only going to help him when he takes over for Trevor Lawrence next year. Yeah. USC definitely has the talent to dominate the Pac-12. I mean, this is a team that should go 6-0 and with this schedule. The four toughest games, you could arguably maybe like five of the top six toughest games are no longer on the schedule. So you, these are basically most of the bottom-dwelling you know, aspects of the schedule that are left over. You got to dominate that. You got to dominate the South. Uh, Keely's pointed out that USC has started off slow quite often, and and like Shotgun and, and all of us have said, that ASU game is is really key. So you got to come out and play well there. If you beat Arizona State at 9 a.m. Uh, the opening weekend, uh, you know Utah's lost a lot. There's no reason USC should lose the rest of the way. So um, six and zero is like, I mean, it, 
Anything less than five and one would be a major disappointment. And I think even five and one would be a disappointment. Yeah, agreed. In the same vein, Warren Childs asked us, uh, which team is a bigger concern for SC as far as potential loss, Utah or ASU, or is there another applicable? I think it's got to be ASU for sure. Um, you know, we talked about it before. I think there was another question too about the early, uh, you know, the uh, what Arizona State was able to do. You talk to some USC people, they don't seem to think it's that big of a deal. But Arizona State was using the 20-hour NCAA mandated work weeks uh, that they allowed over the summer, which typically you can't do after spring football. But because there wasn't spring ball, and I think Arizona State actually got a bunch of spring practices in because they started early, so they got a bunch of practices in. They have two new coordinators, so you got to work that in and implement stuff. But then also you're coming in and getting a lot of that 11-on-11 work. They're not, you know, there's no thud. There's not you know, tackling or things like that. But it's sort of equivalent to maybe a Thursday practice. I think we talked about this last week. You'd rather not see Arizona State early because they've been probably – they've definitely been the most prepared uh, Pac-12 program uh, you know, around. So you're going to get the most prepared program who's picked to finish second behind you uh, at 9 a.m., there's a lot of, you know, factors in this game besides just who's the more talented team. So I think it's really important to come out and figure out, you know, Clayton's got to figure out a way to play really well in that first game because this is a team that's going to be well-prepared. They've got a stud sophomore quarterback just like you do. Uh, you know, some real, you know, they, they got a really good coaching staff, I think, around Herb Edwards. I think he's done a great job uh, putting that together. So they're, they're, to me, that's the biggest threat. Now, Kyle Whittingham, they seem to reload every year. They've lost so much production. It's hard to say, all right, you know, you don't have Huntley. You don't have Moss. You don't have all these guys anymore that were scaring you. And USC still beat them last year with the third-string quarterback. So, to me, they played Arizona State last year without their starting quarterback. To get them 9 a.m., I, I think that's going to be the game you got to watch. Yeah. Shotgun, what's your answer? Yeah, no doubt that it's ASU. I think Utah lost so much. And the, the biggest factor uh, that helps Utah, I mean – there is always that whoever the home team has won this game the last seven years. And an interesting fact for you, USC has never won at Utah on a Saturday. They've won twice, and it's been on a Thursday and a Friday, uh, going back to 1907, I think it is, was their first win or something like that, 17. But the only main factor is the weather at Utah. It's going to be late November. It could be really cold. That could be a factor. But you're losing the home field advantage, and Utah normally has one of the best home field advantages with the muss and going crazy up there in Rice-Eccles Stadium. They won't have that. So I think that's a, a big you know, advantage for USC playing on the road up there this year is they don't have to deal with the fans and uh, dealing with silent counts and stuff like that um, with an offensive line that, Still some question marks about. So it's definitely the ASU game. And there's and the ASU game might even come down to who can get their players to go to sleep better the night before. Because, I mean, That's we think, Shotgun. Yes, yes. We, we, yes. We've talked about it, but also, as I think Herm Edwards said, you know, they're going to be fired up to play no matter what for the 9 a.m. game. Yeah, they're going to be so fired up they don't want to go to sleep the night before. So whoever can get their team to sleep a little bit better might be, it might be the team that uh, plays better that day. I love how you're trying to be the czar of sleep, Shotgun. I don't think you're qualified yeah, to be that. He's the least, yeah, he's the least qualified <laughs> to talk about sleep because he stays up all night anyway. But the, uh, Arizona State did start spring football in, in like, I, February, late February. Yeah, yeah so uh, they, I think they got two-thirds of their spring football practices in. That's so, huge. That's, that's huge. You know, one practice and no pads versus two-thirds. So as far as, you know, Clay Helton, like, really focused on all the stuff they did to try to, you know, build these systems up and implement them. 
you know, teach everything about the new defensive systems, new special teams. They haven't been able to do it on the field. They haven't been able to really implement them. They have to do that starting on Friday. ASU got a pretty big head start by doing a lot of that in the spring. And then the 20-hour work week stuff that they weren't – they were allowed to do those full cohorts and things like that. They didn't have the same kind of restriction. So I know some people are kind of poo-pooing it. I still think it's kind of a, a, a big deal, especially getting those extra spring ball practices. Mm-hmm. I think, I think Sorry, it's huge. Sorry. I think that's huge, at, you know, crucial. The fact that they got so many practices. A couple other te- schools got like four practices in. I think that's a big advantage because you got into pads at least to see them especially when you have new coordinators like at Arizona, um, to be able to see kids in pads for at least one or two practices is huge for new coordinators. And Arizona State, new uh, offense and new defense, they, I, I think being able to have that, you know, 10 practices is, is a big advantage for them. And then also the extra time. Um, so I think they're a definite step a, a, a in front of everybody. And USC should try to use that as motivation. Like, hey, we're already behind the eight ball right here. We got to go and, and go hard all the time now. Real, real quick, um, I think I remember this correctly. There was only one school in the country that finished all of their spring practices, and I believe it was Coastal Carolina. I don't, I don't have that in front of me. Interesting. They're 3-0 right now. They beat Kansas. They beat Campbell, whatever. And then they beat Arkansas State, who's beat a bunch of teams already. I think their game against uh, Lafayette this weekend got postponed. But um, I believe they're the only team that finished all their spring practices, and they haven't lost a game yet with a couple of, you know, they beat a Power 5 team. They beat an Arkansas State team that's already had some, you know, some wins. So uh, that could be a factor. Who knows? Okay, I'm jumping back in. Uh, my official uh, answer is ASU, but I would like to put it on the record right now. That Utah game <laughs> at Rice Eccles. I'm telling you, I've watched it three times. USC, the powers are just zapped and vice versa for uh, Utah in the Coliseum. So watch out for that one. It always gets interesting. Uh, but we actually have a caller. It's Coley from Iowa. I believe he's talking about the schedule. Hello, you are live on television. Hi, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, I am talking about the, uh, I am talking about the schedule and uh, uh, looking at it. Uh, the Pac-12 has done USC um, in, in no favors or really any team. Uh, of course, the Irish have already on their second bye week. We have one more bye week later on. USC is going back to back to back to back. You do not have one bye week fitted into this at all. Is the coaching different? Are you like? Do the coaches treat this as a sprint uh, versus like a marathon of this? And one little more thing: um, as BYU has been able to put their schedule in, you know, just piecemeal it together, is USC at the end of the year able to add one more game, possibly, you know, for that extra all-important data point? Or are they backed up against the? Uh, uh, bowl games by that, that time. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Coley. Thanks, Coley. Yeah, there's because the Pac-12 sat on their hands and didn't, you know, <laughs> get this going correctly. You know, in the in, in the you know right away when they should have, especially when they got the early uh, the, the rapid testing stuff going. They're two weeks behind the Big Ten, so they got two less games. There's no room for a bye week. And there's plenty of teams that go seven weeks without a bye week, so I don't think that's as big of a deal. And there's no room to put any game afterwards. You could potentially play some sort of out of conference game after that, but it will already be after the college football playoff selection has happened. There's no data point. There's nothing to do besides you just want to play some more football, which I think they want to avoid at all costs at this point. They don't want to put extra games that don't mean anything on there because it doesn't really do much for you. So it's really a Pac-12 thing. They only had seven weeks to play seven games. They had to cram it all in. You have to hope 
that the rapid testing and watching what everyone else does will put you in a position that you don't need to delay, you know, to uh, postpone a game like Notre Dame and Wake Forest did or a lot of the other. There's been 20-something postponed games. Uh, I think that's what the hope is, but we don't know. I mean, you might get by the time the Pac-12 starts, college football can be shut down for <laughs> who knows. But they have seven right. weeks, seven weeks to play seven, you know, seven games and uh, no room for error. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's big concerns in the NFL right now with the the Titans um, and their continual positive tests and stuff. So no guarantees on this. But as far as is there a concern because there's no bye week? No, USC's done this before. It's, it's nothing new. Yeah, they, they played 10 games straight, I believe it was, uh, a couple years back. So they have some uh, – 12, that, I, think. I think, yeah, they I had it. it 12. 12. Yeah, it was the last week. Yeah, the bye week was like the last week yeah. before the championship. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So they had, a, they had a bye week going into the Pac-12 championship. So USC has done this before. Um, nothing new there. And it, everyone else is on the same schedule in in the Pac-12. So it's not like you're, play, you're playing 10 weeks in a row and someone else – you know, as you've been split up their schedule and they've had that by week, everyone's going to be on the same uh, same uh, platter there. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I think that you know, there's been questions about the postseason stuff and adding an extra game. I don't, I don't see that happening. The Pac-12 is not going to. I think they're pretty set on what they're doing. Yeah, they're yeah. set. And and USC only has one Friday game. They have two back-to-back road games, but one's against Arizona, and the other road game is in Pasadena. So like, yeah. it's a pretty. I mean, they took all the punch out of the schedule, basically, and, and took away, like, a, a Washington or an Oregon and gave you Washington State, you know, yeah. so, or Cal. Like, Stanford would have been, I don't think Stanford's going to be very good, but Cal, Washington, and Oregon are the top three teams in the North, and you're not playing any of those, and you were playing all of them before, and you're not playing Alabama, and you're not playing Notre Dame. So this schedule's so much easier than what came out in the 1.0 and it's significantly easier than even than the 2.0 one that they had yeah and you're not ucla who's uh traveling to oregon on a friday night when you weren't even scheduled to play them so yeah that's uh <laughs> it's so usc got a little lucky in that sense so thanks coley for the call um it is almost the top of the hour 8 p.m i believe we're gonna go into rapid fire pretty soon but before we do we talked about it a little bit usc had like a faux pac media day with uh the 12 uh, head coaches in the conference. I know you guys uh, got bits and pieces of the whole conference to, uh, today. It was a, a long thing. I believe it was like 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. So it was a long, uh, lots of talking for the coaches. 3 p.m. Thank you, Shadi. Uh, what were your takeaways? Any interesting quotes you would like to share with the masses? So real quick, I mean, it was interesting to kind of hear from Chip Kelly and Kevin Sublin. Well, you know, Kevin Sublin has the Rona and Chip Kelly had it. Just, you know, saying, hey, this isn't a joke. Uh, but really... The Northern California schools and Colorado are still, with practice starting Friday, they're still not able to go. So Justin Wilcox said they're waiting on Berkeley to tell him they, he was hoping today or tomorrow they're going to get clearance to do the 75 cohorts that the state was allowing. The LA County basically just followed whatever the state did. So USC and UCLA can practice. Santa Clara County, where Stanford is, still waiting there as well. So David Shaw was talking about that. The, the Boulder County, where Colorado is, they were pretty open before, and then they shut everything down because they had too many spikes and some young people. And there was some weird ordinance that they made where, like, young, you know, college students basically can't gather, um, which shut down uh, Colorado, I think, for the last two and a half weeks at this point. So, uh, you know, new coach there, Carl Durrell, you know, didn't get much for spring football. Uh, they really wanted to get out there on the practice field to kind of implement their systems. Uh, I mean, they talked about preparing, like, 
with individual drills. That's what Colorado's running right now. So just seeing how the restrictions here on the West Coast, California, and then you know Boulder came out with their own. Uh, it's been really interesting how these teams are going to prepare with juxtaposed against like an Arizona State that's been able to do quite a bit. I think Arizona's got to do a lot too, but then your head coach gets the virus, so that's different. So I, I think of the South, ASU's in the probably the best spot. Um, but you know, all the other teams, you know, kind of preparing was interesting. And I liked Jimmy Lake came off and was really adamant about a six team playoff. He was going off on it, it, made it all over Twitter. That was pretty funny. People were kind of shot, you know, shooting down some of his ideas, but he thought it all out. He's like, I planned it all out. This is what I want to do. Six game, you know, six uh, game playoff with two bye weeks and stuff. So he was really adamant about that one. Shotgun, your takeaways? Yeah. Uh, I thought Covering Jimmy Lake would be fun. Um, yeah. you know, he's a guy that, that thinks uh, outside the box a little bit uh, and had some interesting ideas. Talked about the East Coast bias that there is. Um, and he thinks, you know, it, listening to some of the coaches talk about 9 a.m., whether they're for it or against it, um, it's kind of split. I'm working on a story on that for you guys for tomorrow. Um, but that was kind of interesting. I thought from Clay Helton, the one interesting thing was you have these groups of 75 is, that you're allowed to practice at. They may have to split the team up and practice on two different fields. So that could be something of interest. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there was a couple interesting things there. Uh, not any big revelations coming out. You know, we didn't find out that any, you know, some star quarterback is hurt or anything. Interesting that Mario Cristobal did say he has no new information on any of their opt-outs. Uh, so that that is notable there because they have lost you know, multiple players in their secondary. They did get Diamador and Lenore back, but Pene Sewell on the other side. And I did say that he did say that Tyler uh, uh, Schuff will be the you know guy to get the number one reps at least there. So uh, Oregon, a lot of people they were picked to win the Pac-12, and a lot of people expect them you know to be the team from the north to win. So if that's the case, USC could match up with them in the in the postseason. Mm -hmm. um, we have a question. From Ulaulau who says, "Hey, Shotgun, do you have anyone in mind that is going to be able to help uh, pressure the QB besides Drake Jackson? I can't seem to think of anyone." I mean, you look at the guys that have gotten sacks in their career, and you got Hunter Eccles, Abdul Malik McLean is a guy who really has on. very little snaps, but his production as far as getting to the quarterback, uh, at least pressures and also sacks, is, is one of the best that USC's had. So he get more opportunities. Every time he kind of had pushed himself into more opportunities, he's gotten hurt. Mm -hmm. It just feels like he's been cursed, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but so he's a guy to look at. From the, the bigger guys, Caleb Tremblay has a really quick burst off the line, and it, oftentimes that helps him get in the backfield. And Jacob Lichtenstein come back. I, I'm bullish on Jacob Lichtenstein. He had worked his way in the rotation two years ago. Um, I, I think that he's a guy that can – He's, he's you know, he looks like he's been working out nonstop for like eight years in a row right now. That's what it seems like coming off the injury. Um, but if that translates onto the field, you know, he was already making some plays uh, two years ago. I think he could be a guy that can get in the backfield as well. Ryan, any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I agree with what Shotgun's saying. I think you have to generate some pressure from other places. Yeah. Losing a guy like Jay Tufeli wasn't just like someone that ate up space in the middle. He did. He would pick up stats. He could get tackles for loss. So you want the Marlon Tui Pelotus, the Brandon Peelys to yeah. be able to kind of pick up the slack there too. So it's not just coming from the edge. I think they need that help. And that's that's what Tefeli was – he was a pretty good playmaker for someone in the interior defensive line. So I think he's – even though they got depth around him, I think they're, some of those guys are going to have to step up and, and make some of those bigger plays that he was making. Mm -hmm. all, those, all those guys that I talked about that could be potential guys to get to the backfield would be greatly enhanced – 
if Brandon Peely becomes a more consistent pass rusher. Yep. He's got the, the unique athletic ability from his size. He's got to put it together with a technique to be able to be more consistent in the backfield because mo- the most often times you get sacks is not one man beating their man. It's it's multiple guys doing the work because quarterbacks can step up or move out. They That's when the second guy there usually gets the sack. And this is when you're really curious about the, just this new defensive staff entirely. You know, Vic Soto has been described as a, a star in the making. Can we see that immediately for USC? And, and what can he do with a talent like uh, Brandon Peely or, or Marlon Tupelotu? We shall see. We have a question from Dave who said, uh, have media policies and protocols have uh, been established for the ASU game on November 7th? Not yet. We don't actually know yet. Yeah, we're not sure. Um they're still, I mean, we still might be able to go to practice, but just as of now, we can't. Uh, they're going to see how this works, but they would, I think, I think the new athletic department wants to get the media involved if, however they can. I don't think this is a situation where they want to keep people out. So they're going to do what they can. Uh, I, I, I feel pretty strongly they're not going to be shutting them out just to, just to close people out or just to you know stop any kind of negativity. I think when we talked to Mike Bone, he seemed pretty open to, uh, you know, making it or not giving us opportunities however they can. So they're still working on stuff. They want to do it in a safe way. And I feel like we're going to have, you know, more access to stuff uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. Shotgun, we have a question specifically for you that I uh, think is funny. Uh, Jester Smith says, Shotgun, this is Stephen Carr's last season. How does he look and will he win the Heisman as you predicted he would before he left <laughs> USC? <laughs> I, I never predicted that, to be honest. I predicted that by his junior year, he would be a Heisman finalist. That's mm, a little bit different. The goalpost move every time, but continue. No, I always said he would be a finalist. I, it's so hard for a running back to win uh, the Heisman anymore that I would not have predicted that. I think that it, this is a huge year for Stephen Carr. You know, We've seen the ability that he does have. Uh, we saw how different he looked coming back from the back injury. He just looked like he had been sapped uh, of his – uh, you know, his ability to burst out of, uh, you know, some of the tackles that he had been able to do before, it's a big question mark. You know, he, he looks great as far as physically, um, but until you see it on a Saturday and see him actually pull away from a defender, then it's hard to say that he is. And it's unfortunate because you've seen so much potential with him. I would love to actually see the offense – use him as a receiver more. It's not something they did much last year other than just check downs, but as an actual route runner, you know, because he he is good enough to be able to push him out to the slot and use him to run routes. And you see it so often on Sundays and how valuable guys catching the ball in the backfield is in today's NFL. That Stephen Carr can be an asset like that if they choose to use him. It's not something they did in the past. So uh, that that's what I want to see if they make some adjustments to the offense this year. And speaking of people's boys, Ryan, we got a question for you about uh, Tyler Vaughns uh, from Lao Lao who says, uh, do you think your boy will break every USC receiving record? Oh, I read that wrong, but let's go with that. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't. I haven't looked to see what the records are. I don't know how close he is, but I think he's going to have a big year. I mean, Amon Ra St. Brown, I think is going to have the bigger year. I mean, you got some other guys uh, like, you know, uh, Brew McCoy and, and Kyle Ford, I think are going to be, you know, big contributors, but uh, yeah, I think Tyler's going to get his uh, this year, you know, especially with Michael Pittman gone. So he goes for a thousand yards or so and, and gets you know eighty catches. Well, actually, you can't do that because we have a shortened season. So that's going to be tougher. There's only seven games. So yeah, what would he get? Good probably plan. you know he's probably going to get in the forty-five catch range. Would that be normal for like that'd be a lot? I think for a seven-game season, you know, six hundred yards or something like that. That would be pretty good. I don't know where that puts him in the record books, but I think he can do something like that. 
Yeah, he he was kind of he needed the full season. He was on the you know the, the, as long as he had a good season, he didn't have to have a great season. But as long as he had a good season, then he probably would break the records uh, for most catches and I think most yards as well. Um, but it, with the shortened season, that's probably not going to happen for him. Now remember, this could be an eight game season for USC, so it's not just a six game. It could be an eight game. They'll get a seventh game in the in the Pac twelve on that championship weekend, but also a potential bowl game too. So, you know, yeah, if you, one, yeah. I mean, if, considering that there's no requirements on wins to, for a bowl game this season, this probably can guarantee an eighth game, right? If everything, if everything. True, yeah. COVID aside. Out, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but, but yeah, so he can put up some good numbers, but I think he's going to be a little bit shy from breaking the records just because he doesn't get the full slate of games. And he's got, obviously he's got to stay healthy and everything as well. Adler on YouTube says, how does uh, USC's quarterback depth look? Not great. Not what, great at all. What quarterback depth? What is this you <laughs> speak Essentially, of? Matt Fink is the backup. And then you have a walk-on uh, transfer gra- graduate transfer, Mo Hassan from Vanderbilt. And yeah. that's pretty much it. They, they added another walk-on on the roster today when they released it. Um, uh, they, the, the walk-ons they added during this most recent roster release are from all over the country. So USC's got a... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a full United States flair there with some kids from Wisconsin and, you know, different, different States uh, on there, but it's not good. If Keaton Slovis gets hurt, you're in trouble. If Matt Fink then goes down behind him, you're in dire straits. Yeah. Um, and now, now granted, Mohassan has started games. It did start games at Vanderbilt in the sec. So it's not like a normal walk on. It's not quite, um, you know, Holden Thomas having to, to step in or John Manugian uh, from years past having to step in. Guys, that you'd be like, that, that's a good walk-on quarterback, but it's not uh, not somebody you would want to be starting a game. Mohassan actually has some actual experience playing, so a little bit of a step up above that, but you're still going to be in trouble if he, you're having to throw him in. Mm-hmm. Hey, Keely, I don't know if you have a question queued up. I have a Facebook one I could Go throw up there. Let me, uh, f- I think this will work. I tried, oh, to, I tried to pull it up. Will it work? <laughs> we'll see. Uh, is it popping up there? No. All right. Well, it doesn't look like it's working. Um, you can so, still read it. Yeah, I can still read it. It's from Ian. <laughs> Did anyone happen to remember Texas? Uh, Todd Orlando as defensive coordinator when they, made, when they manhandled number five ranked Georgia in the Sugar Bowl in 2019. Hope all the Todd Orlando haters remember what he did when Texas had healthy players. Food for thought. And look at what Texas is doing now. Uh, they, they lost a triple overtime game. They gave up like 50-something points. And they uh, lost to TCU. Gave up 33 points in that game. So it's not like the defense has been uh, you know, any better uh, when Todd Orlando has been gone. So uh, that's a good one. But sorry I couldn't pull that one up, Ian. But yeah, I just wanted to put his question out there. Yeah, a couple of people sent out some tweets that said maybe Todd Orlando wasn't the problem for the Texas defense. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe not. Uh, we have a couple more questions, and then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Coley says, "What is the game you'll be watching this Saturday?" I actually don't know what's going on. Oklahoma Texas is going to be, uh, yeah, like the Red River rivalry or whatever is just going to be the Red River wah wah because it's just <laughs> both. Uh, but yeah, that's probably one I would watch. Um, do you have it circled? I mean, it's a noon game. It always no, is. not circled. Hey, by the way, uh, Alabama opener last year was at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So, boom. Not their time. It was 11 their time. Yeah, but it was – they can't play at 9 a.m. their time. That's, that's – they, they played the – Alabama played the early game to open last season. So, just so you know, Shaka. I guess two. Southern Miss. Yeah. So, that's not like a marquee matchup. But they still played at 9 a.m. That's not Shaka's point. 
I said, when are they going to put one of their big games on? Not, okay. I, yeah, you know what? They play Mississippi State plays at nine a, at nine a.m. Pacific a lot because they're not good. Yeah, well, Alabama did too. And like I said, Michigan so Ohio what? State is the marquee, marquee game. game. Is the marquee game in the the top conference for making money, and they play in that time slot. So just say I said, what did the SEC do when they put one of their marquee yeah. games? When Georgia Florida is there or LSU Alabama, then come talk. I'm going to be channel surfing between Miami and Clemson and Florida State and Notre Dame. Oh, Miami Clemson's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah neither so. neither is going to be a game. Uh, Georgia Tennessee too. That's yeah, the only. That's probably the only good game this weekend because yeah, I don't think Georgia's as good as they are. Yeah, I just want to see Notre Dame just because Florida State's terrible and uh, which is unfortunate because that's a great brand. But mm -hmm. uh, but Miami, I think, has been playing a lot better. But they might, you know, everyone's saying, oh, is Texas back? And then they end up losing. And I think a lot of people have been saying that, oh, is Miami back? Clemson might just, you know, slap them down and they'll be, oh, they're not back. Oh, wait, Alabama Ole Miss is this weekend, I believe. Yeah, Saban. I got to uh, watch that. Saban Kiffin. Yeah. That, that'll be interesting to watch, but it won't be a good game either. Probably not. But yeah, that's, but a, that's the one you it. want to circle. You'll check out Kiffin Still and Saban. Still got to watch it. I mean, I've, I've been watching all the Ole Miss games because their offense is fun to watch. Matt Corral, former USC quarterback commit. Combined with a former USC coach and Lane Kiffin, and putting up really big numbers on the offense side, their defense is just not any good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, final question from Jasper Smith. He wants to know our schedule going forward. Understandable. We've been switching around a little bit. Boss man, what do you got? Yeah, I don't know. We're, we're you know, I think two a week uh, during the season still makes sense. Uh, I don't think, I'm, I think we could keep doing Wednesdays because. Wednesdays aren't, you know, we're not going to be on the practice field, most likely, Wednesday afternoon. So maybe like a Sunday night and a Wednesday night. I think the Sunday one still makes sense, like post-game. Yeah, we got to break things down. Yeah, so I think we'll probably do like a Sunday, Wednesday at this point. I kind of like this Wednesday spot a little bit. Um, since it won't be, it doesn't look like it's going to conflict with us being on campus for practice. Yeah, I, we're front-loaded. Probably think. Wednesday and and Sunday. All righty. Uh, Art Martinez says, Ryan. I can watch a Trader Joe's from my house and I have a sweet tooth, but can't you recommend something other than that is sweet and delicious? So he wants something non-sweet toothy. Oh, uh, no, I mean, I had the, the gnocchi for, for lunch the other day. I mean, there's a like, just go through the freezer section and there's so many cool things. Like I'll pick up, like I picked up lamb vindaloo and I'll pick up some of like mm -hmm. the, some of the jasmine rice, the frozen rice. I mean, it's stuff that's real easy to prepare. Uh, the orange chicken, I know shotgun's a big fan of orange chicken. You can, Pick those up. Just just going through like the freezer section. Just pick up a few different meals, and uh, you can come up with something good. So I, I like that. Nice, very nice. Alrighty, gentlemen. Any final thoughts? Football is back officially on Friday for USC. All the coverage at uscfootball.com. Make sure to check it out. Final thoughts, gentlemen. Yeah, check out the war room. Make sure you're subscribing to the to the site. We're gonna have a whole bunch of content going up there. Uh, so you know, check it out. We're finally back. We've been. This is the longest off season ever. So finally getting back going again that the season is going on now in the fall is huge for usc recruiting you've seen it already start mm -hmm. to pick up a little bit uh usc flipping uh philip riley from i believe notre dame as well so getting a florida commit usc recruiting starting to make some moves forward now it comes down to how you play on the field you play well on the field if usc goes six and zero in the pac-12 that's when you start talking about the big boys deciding to stay home or deciding to come to USC versus going some other places. Mm -hmm. Real quick, uh, former USC player Taylor uh, Ashton tweeted at me, how's our guy Brew looking? Expecting huge things out of him. And we don't know, dude. We can't see anything. I'm sorry. We, we, we can't watch anything yet. But 
Uh, yeah, I would expect big things out of Brew McCoy. I mean, two former five-star receivers that weren't on the field last year will be have a, have a chance this year. So I think that's big. Yep. No, Kyle Ford is injured, Ryan. You forget. Oh. He tore his ACL again. Oh, yeah. And didn't listen. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunate for him, but he's uh, he's been doing well and in his recovery there. But Brew McCoy expecting huge things from him. And the fact that USC has both Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vons, which is something we didn't necessarily think would happen, yep. you know, for this season with all the opt-outs we started seeing in other places. But and Clay Helton gave a, a big push to Amon Ross St. Brown, said he's in the best shape he's ever seen. And I can't remember the exact thing tweeted earlier today, but he was very effusive in his praise of Amon Ross St. Brown. He said yeah. he's urgent to be great. Something yeah. of that nature. Which is something that you could have said about him his entire career. He, yeah. He's going to be a monster this year and then be a Not first or second round draft pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All righty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Ryan. I'm Keely, and that's Shotgun. Sorry, Shotgun, I left you, left you out there. Uh, that's Shotgun, that's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next week. Bye.